Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help this morning. We are desperate to, to hear from your Spirit. We need our daily bread. Jesus, you taught us to pray that way. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Of course, that can mean provision in the physical realm, but even much more important, it's, Lord, we need guidance. And we know that you speak to churches. You did in Revelation 3. You spoke to various churches. So sometimes you have a message to a particular church at a particular time in place and history. And so, Lord, we believe that. Uh, we are, that's an audacious claim. But we believe that the creator of the universe is actually speaking to us. So what an imperfect vessel I am, Lord, but that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going through, we looked at last week, we've been uh, going through the Gospel of Luke. We looked at Jesus weeping over the city, if you'll remember. And uh, we went back and I've been trying to show you, or and I've been intrigued by it myself. I'm just calling it pattern recognition and there are patterns that emerge in the scripture. But I've gotten so deeply into the prophet Jeremiah, and I, of course, you know, I taught out of Jeremiah before, but I had never really looked at the life of Jeremiah in the detail that I have over the last three months. This really started for me about three or four months ago. I just had this something on the inside, and I'll call it the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, something on the inside of me. I just want you to spend time in Jeremiah. So I've been reading books about Jeremiah, I've been thinking about Jeremiah, I've been reading Jeremiah again. And then this last week, I was doing a, a little uh, group, and some of the men come. We had 60, 70, 80 guys that'll come on Thursday mornings. And, uh, and some, a number of guys came up afterwards and said, you need to share that with Church at the Red Door. And so I thought about it. I prayed about it. I said, I may, do some, I may go a little bit different off, off task here this, this week. I'd already, you know, they kind of had the outline for the week and all that. And uh, I said, I'll tell you, and I just couldn't get it in my spirit till yesterday, and I felt like I was supposed to. So I think this is a message for us today. Are you ready for this? Okay, so I want you, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Psalm chapter 8, and in some ways that'll do you great good, because I just want you to see this, and whatever uh, translation you use, whether it's NIV or many of you know I teach out of the NASB, this particular passage is not really a translation, it's more of a commentary, if you will. Uh, and it's Eugene Peterson, and I'm going to read out of the message, and it'll come up behind me here. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Do you ever struggle with the immensity of the, of the not just our galaxy, but our entire universe? I mean, we talk about it all the time. I think about it all the time. So as your pastor, you're going to hear about it. It just flows out of me. It's impossible for me to imagine one galaxy. 100,000 light years across, one galaxy. And then now they're telling me James Webb Telescope, and this is a picture from James Webb Telescope, a uh, recent picture. Now they're telling me that there are telling me, telling us collectively, there could be two trillion, gal two trillion galaxies, billions of light years across. I, I, ca I cannot even wrap my mind around that. And neither can the psalmist here. Now, you can imagine when he, the psalmist is writing this, he's looking out, and they don't even have telescopes yet. I mean, they're just looking at the constellations. They're looking at, you know, the moon rising and the sun setting. I mean, they're, they, they have no idea. I don't, they have no, no comprehension that we're within the context of a galaxy. 
that they can't even see. Maybe just in a little tiny form, they can see out and see a number of our little planets that, that constitute our little, our little galaxy. I mean, our, just, our, our, our little solar system that make up our galaxy. And yet they responded like this, the immensity of the galaxy. It's overwhelming. Now what happens is you can go down that road in your mind mentally and say the immensity of the galaxy, I mean nothing. As a result, my actions, because I mean nothing, my actions really mean nothing. Now, an atheistic worldview would be, there is no God. This all just came into existence. There is no God. And, but what you do you realize what your atheist friends, or maybe, maybe even somebody that you're dear to in your family or something, and an atheistic friend, do you, do you realize what they're really arguing? What they're really arguing is, I mean nothing. Now, we can apply meaning. We can say we mean something. No, you're just a, 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 just a very random collection of atoms over time and chemicals and things, but you can perceive that you have consciousness, whatever that is, but what they're really arguing is that I mean nothing, and you mean nothing, and at some point our sun will burn out, and it'll all be forgotten, and you nothing emerges from it. There'll be more galaxies that are born, and we may explode, our sun may explode into some kind of novo or burnout, or who knows what will happen, but in the end, everything is meaningless. The psalmist kind of almost tilts that way. He doesn't understand. He, he posits God. So he's not a, clearly not an atheist. We're not talking that the psalmist was an atheist. But it's hard for him to comprehend that God would take notice of us given the complexity of what they could see and they can't see one billionth of one trillionth of what we're looking at now. Thank you, James Webb Telescope. Listen to what he says in Psalm 8. And again, this is the message God, brilliant Lord, yours is a household name. Nursing infants gurgle choruses about you, and toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence atheist babble. I like the way he puts that. I look up at your macro skies. Your, they're dark and enormous. Your handmade sky jewelry. Moon and stars mounted in their settings. And then I look at my own micro self. <laughs> micro self. Feels so small relative to what's out there. And I wonder, why do you even bother with us? Are we really on your radar why take a second look our way? Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods, bright with Eden's dawn light. Now, in the NSB, uh, this word God is Elohim. And what this, it can apply to angels, it can apply to a created order that are really glorified and magnified. And, and he knows, having read you know, Genesis 1.26, let us create man in our own image. And the Godhead created us in his very image. He said, I, I realize you created us in this way. We narrowly missed being gods. Now, we are not gods. We are the created order. Let me be very, very clear about that. We are the created. But by endowing us with his image, it puts us in a class so distinct, 
even different than the angels or the animal kingdom or any other created order. You put us in charge of your handcrafted world, repeated to us your Genesis charge. Made us stewards of sheep and cattle and animals out in the wild, birds flying and fish swimming, whales singing in the ocean deeps. God, brilliant Lord, your name echoes around the world. So you can see what's going on in the psalmist's mind here. And I have to tell you, I've had that same thought many, many times. It's, not, it's a thought that emerges in my mind, and I do believe we have an adversary, and I do believe that an adversary can put thoughts in your mind. You really don't mean anything. And you see the, that working out in so many different ways around our globe today. You mean nothing. There is no God, or even if there is, you really mean nothing to Him, if there is a God. And then you look at the, the, the galaxies and you just go, well, that's probably true. We have to ground ourselves again in the text to understand what God, through His Word, is speaking to us. And I want to revisit where we looked uh, the last two weeks, and I want to go to back to Jeremiah 1 and expand on that a little bit if you would be willing to go down that road with me this morning. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Back to the NASB. It's easy to read this. I, I have quoted this a thousand times. You know, I probably teach five, six hours a week. I probably have quoted this. Uh, you know, this is my go-to place in terms of, well, as I alluded to last week, uh, the abortion issue or anything that relates to that, it's always like, you know, I knew you before I formed you in the womb and, and that, and it really is a parallel with Psalm 139 and, and all the intricacies of God being aware of who we are and all that, and yet I think there's something even deeper here. So let's reread this and then let's talk about it a little bit this morning. Jeremiah 1 verse 4, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before, and notice this, catch that, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now before we go on, I want you just to stop and meditate on that a minute. If you get nothing else from this morning, get this, please dwell on this, meditate it, meditate on it. I'm almost compelled just to stop. In fact, I am. Let's just stop and have a moment of silence. And let me read this again and then meditate on this. Are you ready? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What can that even mean? You know, we think of ourselves as our bodies. We think of ourselves before I even formed you, before the, the dirt began to come together to use, you know, from dirt we come and from dirt we'll return, right? Before that, that egg was penetrated by that seed, before that even occurred, I already knew you. In other words, there was a you a consciousness, a soul before. Now, I'm not saying that you existed pre because your consciousness came into being, but he knew you. He had a foreknowledge about who you were prior 
to even forming you in the womb? Now the question is why? You know, we run around all the time. I'll never forget, there was a precious, he's since passed. He came to, I don't know that he even, I don't know if he made it to the first. He might have been here one or two services before. I can't even remember. It goes back. But he was a Jewish, precious Jewish guy, and he was a good friend of mine. And uh, he came to one of these fellowships years ago. This is maybe, I met him probably 20 years ago. And I remember he said, you know, I just, I, I ran across, I, I searched the whole world. I went into transcendental meditation. I went into, I explored Buddhism. I, I mean, he, he'd gone down every path looking for meaning and purpose. He goes, I explored all of it. He says, and finally, you know, I found Jesus and I, found, and I became so settled, you know. And my whole life became so settled, You know, we run around trying to figure out our own identity, who we are, our truth, our our world we create for ourselves. And I think what we're about to see with Jeremiah, if you think about it a little bit more deeply, is that Jeremiah already had a story in which God was about to insert him and he derived his identity even before his body was formed in the womb. Now, if that's true, that is as far on the spectrum as you can possibly get from I, there is no God, and I mean nothing, and you mean nothing. And by the way, as I've said before, I do not understand why why the atheistic community stands up and is so vigilant about their feelings, about their own nothingness. If they are nothing, why would we be concerned about what they think about anything? If they are nothing. At least the foundation of our understanding of the created order is that we are something. We are created in His image, and this is the next step. So there's one thing to go from atheism to agnosticism to maybe some kind of tepid religious identity of some sort where you just kind of go to church or you do something. And, you know, all, most of the world is in that category anyway. Every culture, race, creed, everybody has some kind of compulsion to look at the created order and go, there's something out there. But then you keep moving along the spectrum and at the very other side is he knew me and had a plan to insert me into the cosmic redemption story that he had planned that was in place even, you know, in Genesis 3, he's inserted me with very specific time and place and a purpose. In fact, he knew everything about me, well, even before I was in my mother's womb. Now, that's as far away from this as you can possibly get. And if that's true... Would we live any differently? I'm asking you. Would we, lead, would we live different lives if we were full buy-in on there is a plan for me, there is a purpose, and He knew me even before He formed me? Not me running around the world and all my escapades trying to figure out my place in the world and my identity and everything else. And it would really relate just to one thing. It would be, Lord began to describe for me, help me understand that I'm not just some prophet who had a Hilkiah as a father who was a priest, and I was born in Anathoth, which was just kind of a, a nowhereville. It wasn't like it was in Jerusalem. I mean, I'm really not 
anything extraordinary, and yet, what do we read? Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, what is the word of the Lord? How has the word of the Lord come to you? Do you understand your place in the story? Do you? Would you have the audacity to even believe there was a role for you in the story? Well, that's what this is saying. He says, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. Through another teaching I was doing this week, the, the, the very word consecrate, you know what that, that, that is to be set apart. The noun for consecrate is saint. It's, a saint is just someone who's been set apart for a particular task. We think of saints, especially for you, those of you either Catholic or Catholic background or whatever, you know, you say, well, we have the venerated saints, and, you know, those are the guys, and then we'll maybe wear, wear around the neck or something like that, a picture of them, and those are the saints. And you've got to attain a real, no, not, not according to the Bible. You know, we are set apart, and if you've been called, and you're born again, and you're, you're following him, you're a saint, and you're consecrated, as was Jeremiah. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. What has he appointed you for? at this place, in time, in the 21st century, why do you live in this valley, at least for part of the year? Why? And then I said, Alas, O Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, don't say that I'm a youth. Again, the very response to that is always, well, wait a minute, look at all my deficits. You know what I mean? You know, one of the things that is hilarious to me, hilarious, I mean like, Bang your knee, double over, this is hilarious, I can't even believe, is me standing up here right now. Now that to me is hilarious. My wife and daughter back there, they're saying that is hilarious. And, and, um, it's just, it's funny. I mean, I, you know, Lauren, I can look back over, over 30 years of marriage and, and where we started and and just the insanity that was in our own minds and our, and our relationships and our, just the way we viewed the world. And, you know, we were in process and all that. But it was it's just hilarious. God relishes. He, he loves to take the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Because it's not me confounding them. It's the word that he's given me that, again, to the world will always be foolishness, will always look ridiculous, except for those who've been called and have been consecrated. And when they hear that, when they hear this message in a dark culture that we live in, a materialistic, self-fulfilling kind of, you know, whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of world, uh, all of a sudden that just explodes in their heart. And that's why it's such good news, is that I don't have to live over here in meaninglessness. I can live over here in relational integrity with the creator of all those trillions of galaxies. And sometimes I go, well, that seems ridiculous. And then I go back and read Psalm 8 again. Or read Psalm 19. You know, the wonders of your creation is just overwhelming. I just, what is man that you take thought of us in Psalm 8? Why, why would you even think about us? And I just dwell in it. And then I go to Jeremiah and I go, no, you knew me before I was even in my mother's womb. Don't say I'm a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Now for him, 
that was a physical people. Israel was a template for us in many ways. Our battle today under the new covenant is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. The more you understand that, you'll see things as they really are, and you'll be able to live a life that is accurate in its, in its direction. It'll be a reconciliatory life. You'll be thinking about restoration in other people, not just about your own journey. Your mind will begin to go to others. You'll be thinking about their well-being. It just will begin to emerge in you. It's overwhelming when that happens because it is so contrary to human nature. Certainly my nature. And that's just, for me, that is awesome. So he was actually going in and battling, you know, there was a physical element. And it was and it's usually that middle ground, right? So you got the atheists over here. We think our great battles are the atheists. A lot of times the middle ground, the religious people, though that's some of the most challenging place because they don't live over here under calling. They live under duty and obligation and legalism and a lot of that stuff that goes on in, in our attempt to try to get to God, right? It's the Tower of Babel all over again. We will build our way all the way up to God. And that, that archetype has been with us for thousands of years. Man always is trying to build his way to God. If there is a God, or I believe in a God, or I don't know who, who they are, he is, she is, whatever they are, I'm going to at least establish my own righteousness. That's religion, and it doesn't work. It just makes you mean-spirited. Judgmental. Perplexing to the world. Keep going over here. Press yourself to this end of the spectrum where I am called. You may not be appointed a prophet to the nations like Jeremiah was, but you'll have a battle. And as we've seen the last few weeks, how do you do that? Listen to, please, Eugene Peterson again uh, in, in this fantastic book, uh, Run with the Horses. Listen to what he says here, and I just love this. He says, Jeremiah's life didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's truth didn't start with Jeremiah. He entered, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah's salvation didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's truth didn't start with Jeremiah. He entered the world in which the essential parts of his existence will, were already history. And so do we. Sometimes when we are in close and involved conversation with three or four people, another person joins the group and abruptly begins saying things, arguing positions, and asking questions in complete ignorance of what has been said for the past two hours. You ever had that experience? Unfortunately, I've been the person that's butted in a few times. <laughs> They're oblivious to the delicate conversational balances that have been achieved, and you know how that works. And when that happens, I always just want to say, be quiet for a while, won't you? And just sit and listen until you get caught up on what is going on here. Get in time with what is taking place, and then we will welcome you into our conversation. It's wisdom. God is more patient. He puts up with our interruptions. He backtracks and fills us in on old stories. He repeats the vital information. Now, when I read that, this week, I was just thinking, Lord, that's what these patterns are. It's God's repetition in pattern. 
come out of Israel, go through your baptism, into the wilderness. And you think, well, we've heard that thousand. But you have to, because it helps put me, it puts me in a plot on a graph, you know, or, or whatever. It puts me in time and space so I know, well, I've already done that, and now I'm in the wilderness, or I came out of the wilderness, and now I'm over here, and I'm battling, you know, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It gives me some place rather than, and this is the case with our culture. It's so maddening, and especially now it's been expedited with social media and everything else. We just run around and just slam into everybody and everything, and we're, we just have chaos in our mind. It, our attention span begins shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, and we just ram and run into anything because we have no overall picture of a story being played out. We see the world and the universe is chaotic, and therefore our lives are chaotic. Oh, we may have a family that we had some structure, and it kind of gives us a little familial structure. We may have a job that we know to hang in there and be in that job. It's going to necessitate certain you know, requirements of ethics and morality and not getting caught at least, you know, or showing up on time and showing up with a sh having showered and shaven. I mean, so it's not like it's that random because we do begin to recognize patterns in the culture for behavior. But in the end, relationally, and that's why oftentimes you'll see someone who will be appear to be really uh, incredible in their occupation or in their field of endeavor, and then you look, behind the, you look behind the walls of their lives and you see they are in relational turmoil. They, are, they have addictions. They have all kinds of things because they are just ramming into things because, you know, that's just my job and I'm just doing that so I can make money. And as soon as I have money, then I'll be happy, maybe. And then they just, just like ping-ponging off of all of these things in life because they have no sense of destination, no real charted course. What this is saying is that there's a charted course and God repeats it over and over and over so that we can understand it. We don't just have to say, well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Well, I, I think I'm going to heaven and not going to hell. Well, what does that mean past that? I, I don't really know. How anemic is the church that doesn't know where they are in their own spiritual journey, that they have been chosen for such a time as this, that they have, they have been known before the, they were even formed in the mother's womb, that God is intimate, He knows the details of their life, and He wants to plug them into the story. If we will just quiet ourselves, get into the conversation, and listen for a while. Learn. Be discipled. Why do you think Jesus took 12 and spent three years with them along the dusty roads? Because they came in ping-ponging around off everything, thinking they were doing the right thing, doing the wrong thing. You know, in one second, Peter's getting it perfectly right, and then the very next thing we read, get behind me, Satan. He's denying knowing the master. He's, he's, I, Peter's just an example until, until... He begins to see patterns emerge and he understands his role in it and he begins to, well, he listens enough in the conversation to understand what that is going on here. What the heaven is going on here. <laughs> so he repeats this for us. How much better it is if we take the time to get the drift of things, to find out where we fit. The story into which life fits is already well on its way when we walk into the room. It's exciting, it's brilliant, it's, multi, it's a multi-voiced conversation. 
The smart thing is to find out the identity behind the voices and come, become familiar with the context. That's what we're trying to do with these, this pattern recognition. Just understand it's another way to say it. I want to become familiar with the context in which the words are being used. Then, gradually, we venture a statement. We make a reflection. We ask a question or two. Even dare to register an objection. It is not long before we are regular participants in the conversation in which, as it unfolds, we get to know ourselves even as we are known. Do you realize that you're known? You ever feel like, you know, I want to hide that from God? Really? I mean, come on. I don't want to pray that because I, you know, I don't want to divulge that information to him. Really? He knows you. He chose you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been born again, you know, or, or, or you're responding to this in faith, even maybe on television, or, and you're responding to this in faith? He's asking you, he's inviting you not to become just a Christian, whatever that means. He's inviting you into the story to participate. But when you enter the conversation, you might have to be quiet for a while until you eat enough of his word, eat enough of his flesh, and drink enough of his blood, in a sense, to where you are stabilized and you understand the patterns and you understand what is going on in the world. It just feels like randomness. I feel like I'm living in a reality TV show. Heaven forbid. Drama to drama to drama to drama to drama. What a challenge. And then he concludes this, and as we will this morning, then the Lord stretched out his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, if I didn't believe that right there, if I didn't believe that portion right there, there's no way I'd be up here. I just don't have that much to talk about. I mean, what am I going to pull up from my, you know, all my grand life experiences and all? You know, really? I mean, are you, are you going to come every week because you're so interested in my, you know, little life? Car I drive and, you know. But, but, but by the way, I do want to tell you that this last week, we had these gates that were falling apart and they were painted and... Uh, See how boring that is? You don't want to listen to that. I don't have enough life information to give you to keep you coming back to being part of a family. We're all on the same road to try to figure out, okay, Lord, and I know, you know, a road map and you hear all the metaphors, but give us your patterns. Help us understand, you know, we want to eat, you know, rooted our, our discipleship programs in the morning before like the, the old Sunday school kind of thing before church now. And, and, and these groups and links fellowships and all the different things that are going on the women's Bible studies and everything. And we just want to eat and eat and eat so that we can begin to have clarity and increasing clarity on what we're doing on this little rocky planet out in the middle of nowhere. Why would God pay attention to us at all? I knew you before I formed you. Do you realize how transformative just believing that could be? And then I'm going to put my words in your mouth. It's not about my little life. Who cares? That's hero worship. That's fanboy club stuff. See, what this does 
And Church of the Red Door will never be, we'll never have like, oh, well, we, you know, kind of a cult of personality at all. Look, all that we are is a community that realizes that we all play a role. We all have been written in the story if we have decided to follow Jesus. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day. Now that was Jeremiah's calling, to pluck up, to break down nations, destroy and overthrow, build and to plant. That was his specificity of calling for Jeremiah. And I'm asking you, why are you here in the Coachella Valley now? Why? Well, you know, the weather, and we'd always kind of thought we'd come down and get a, maybe a second home. Or, you know, we retired here and we enjoy it. We try to, you know, get out a little bit during the summer and travel a little bit. Please tell me you have a better, you're able to better define why you're here and who you are and who God knows you to be. Come up here. I'm going to show you all kinds of things. It's like, you know, in Revelation, I'm going, to show you, I'm going to show you some things that you haven't seen. That it all begins with verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Church of the Red Door, my, my passion for you, my task, my singular task, really, is not to get a church built. I mean, I love, you know, <laughs> we've, we've, we've got our challenges right now. I mean, we're trying to get this thing going, and, and John told us this week, you know, did you know that church could be ready by August or September? I mean, we're not, we're living in faith. We're on our knees. We, you know, many of you have signed up to get prayer things each, each day. We're on our knees five minutes a day. Can you spend five minutes a day just praying for God's provision, for the property, for us to be able to get everything that we need to get? And we'll get down on our hands and knees every single day during the month of January, trusting that God's going to do that. But that's ultimately, that is not my task, not in an ultimate sense. My task as your pastor, one of your pastors, is to do this, to equip you, equip the saints, the consecrated ones, that were foreknown before they were formed in their mother's womb, to equip you for the work of service. In other words, let me, let me say that in another way. My task as the pastor at Church of the Red Door is to equip you and give you enough information and and these patterns, and, and so you can understand, so that you might find your role. And yeah, you'll have some speaking parts and acting parts and all that, you know. And you may feel at first that you're a little bit in the background. My brother sent me a picture the other day. <laughs> and he, they were in the car or something. He and his wife and his, his daughter, Hallie. And they were all dressed up like people in Jesus' time. I'm just like the turbans on their head, and I'm like, my brother's finally lost his mind. I mean, really, he's finally lost his mind, and uh, he's two years younger than I am, and I'm saying, well, that probably doesn't bode well for me, and uh, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's got, you know, they've got these long robes on, and and he has these, and then he's got these little Nike, really, really hip Nike sunglasses on. I'm just going, patterns, which one of these is not like the other, right? And so... And I'm like, what is going on? Where are you going? Uh, and and they they were going to be part of the part of the crowd, you know, in in the filming of the Chosen. And so they're they're somewhere in the in the background a little bit, you know, for the for this Chosen movie. And I go, that is really cool. I said, you're gonna need to take off your Nike sunglasses. He goes, yeah, I'm gonna take off those Nike sunglasses. <laughs> and uh, hide your hide hide your iPhones and all that kind of thing. But you know. 
sometimes you, at first you will feel a little bit like that. But I, I'll tell you that Jesus, if you'll remember, sees. He, he felt the woman touch his robe. He, and he felt power. Jesus sees every, everybody plays a significant part. He wrote a, he wrote, he wrote a place for you in the story. So that's the beauty of Jeremiah. That's just why I've just been feasting on that and reminding myself that he knows me. But you know what? He's always known me. I want you to close your eyes for a second. And I just want you, again, meditate on that just, Lord, you've, all, you've known me before you even formed me in my mother's womb. Just, just think of that for a second. And now I'm going to look out and maybe you're watching on television or you're watching this years later, I don't know, or you're live streaming. First of all, first step first, do you have faith? Is this inspired faith that maybe, maybe you're an, even an atheist or an agnostic watching this and you just, all of a sudden you're just like, I, I think there might be something out there and Jesus' words really resonate with me. You can choose to follow him today. Just tell him. Lord, I'm turning around. I'm going the other way. Would you forgive me of my sins? Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. First sermon I ever preached. And that Holy Spirit will be, he'll be an uncoverer. He's a paraclete. He's a a teacher. He comes alongside. He'll show you where you fit in this cosmic drama. And you are, you have a lot of meaning. You're created in the image of God. Now, maybe you've already taken that step. Now, step two, Lord Jesus, just pray this. Would you show me my place in the drama? Lord, maybe I entered the conversation too quickly. Think I knew everything, and I'm just sitting here blabbing away the last few years, and, and I have to stop, and I have to say, wait a minute, let me, let me find my grounding. I actually want to be discipled. I actually want to know what it is to follow you. I want to learn the word. I don't want to just, you know, be a Christian, whatever that means. That's a precious term to some, but for some it's a derogatory term, and some it's just it's meaningless for some. It's a precious term, don't get me wrong, but you want a relationship. So just tell him. And then maybe you've, you've known your place in the, in, the, in the story for a long time. You've been walking it out. We have some amazing people here at Church of the Red Door. Just, they've been walking out there calling for a long time. And I'm praying, my prayer for you is that you would excel still more. One of Paul's letters, he says, excel still more. Grow in grace. Grow in power. 2024, the most fruitful year of our collective lives. Lord, I'm praying that for us today. Why? Because you are the God that created, spoke into existence, the very cosmos that we live and find ourselves in. In Jesus' name. 